Welcome to Galaxy Forum. I'm your host, Melissa Kaplan, and we're here to explore the creativity happening in the LCC galaxy, in our classrooms and on campus, and connecting the work of our stars with our community. Though this episode will be available for listeners at any time, we are recording it in November of 2022, during Transgender Awareness Week. On November 20th every year, this week culminates with Transgender Awareness Day. And like everything that's commemorated with a week or a day, it's incredibly important in order to focus awareness, but it's applicable year-round. I am so pleased to welcome my guests today, Lane Ingram, who is the Chief of Staff in the Office of the President at Lansing Community College, a trans man and an LGBTQ plus advocate, and the host of the Reconstructed Man podcast, and Jess Stevens, who I am so pleased to know as a former colleague here at LCC, who is now a therapist with Rooted Counseling. And before we dive into our conversation, Jess, I just would love for you to share a little bit about Rooted Counseling. Yeah, we have three locations in the East Lansing area. There is one in the Bailey Community Center, which is right off of Michigan State campus. There's one off Lake Lansing Road by Eastwood Town Center. And we have another location in Old Town, which is basically on the corner of Turner and um, Cesar Chavez. Rooted Counseling has, I think we're up to maybe like 35 clinicians. We have, we're a pretty large practice now. It's been growing really fast over this last year. Love working there. It's a great environment. And it's really great for our clinicians and our clients. We do have a lot of clinicians that specialize with LGBTQIA+. I couldn't even tell you how many right now. It's a lot. Um, and we are trying to be as inclusive as possible and have a really safe space for our clients to come and get therapy services. That's wonderful. You don't have to go far to hear about the shortage of mental health practitioners and the need that just continues to skyrocket, really. And Lane, as a trans man and an advocate, can you speak a little bit to the need of this population in particular for mental health, mental health care? And I always think of mental health as human health. So maybe we can also talk about that a little bit, that it's part of who we are and we need to take care of it. But different populations are vulnerable for various reasons. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one... I'm a huge proponent of therapy, mental health, human health. I mean, it's just so important for us as people, but especially the trans community. I think we know that trans kids, trans youth, trans people are more prone to depression and suicidal thoughts than their cisgender peers. And and it matters because it comes down to, you know, feelings of rejection and feelings of loneliness, feelings of not being good enough, you know, not knowing yourself. And those are things that people need to talk about and understand because you're not crazy. You're not bad, you know, and the society that we live in right now, that's what they're telling kids. And so the therapists, the doctors, they're part of a wraparound. I guess I'd call it, you need wrapper. You need a village if you're trans, you know, it takes a village and that, and there are people out there. And so I think mental health is, is a huge piece of, you know, being okay with who you are. Definitely. And, there are unique circumstances, and I think for, for a whole lot of people, seeking mental health care is a real challenge because there's such a stigma on 
mental health and our society seems to separate it from the rest of our body somehow as though our mind is just out there floating along. <laughs> I mean, that is kind of how we live sometimes. That's <laughs> how I feel, but it's all part of the same. And um, so how do people make that leap? How do you encourage that to, to I think happen? I think it's gotten better, honestly. And that's, oh, you know, I mean, from a, that's coming from an athletic standpoint, from a trans standpoint, I think Mental health is important. I think there's more, you know, stereotypically they say, you know, men don't do therapy, you know, stuff like that. Like, yep. I think that's going away because mental health is important. And you see the new generation of kids who even the way they look at the workplace is different, right? Like, I think we're changing. And then for trans people, and I know for me specifically, like therapy is part of our process. I mean, it has to be. It oh, must be part of your process. Really? And I'm thankful for that because... Even though it might be a means to an end, if you're trying to, you know, start hormone therapy or you want to, you know, move forward in your process, it could be a means to an end. But at the end of the day, it's still going to help you. It's still going to help you look back and reach in and figure out, you know, where did this come from? How do I work through it? How do I get through what I'm going through socially with my family? And so for trans people specifically and probably the LGBTQ plus community, I think we're probably more open to therapy because we need it we need this space that's that's safe and so for us sometimes what it would be is finding the right person finding somebody who is accepting finding people who understand what you're going through or who have gone through it themselves I mean those would be challenges I think of so as part of transgender awareness week I know it's also to celebrate stories of trans folks uh, but to increase awareness in in the general population in a in a positive way Jess, what's your experience with that? Can you talk a little bit about how has that played out? Do you see it having a positive impact? This awareness week can have a positive impact. I mean, if we just think of social media in general, this week what I've noticed personally even through Instagram or Facebook stories is that a lot of people are saying, oh, it's TDOR week. So what are some, what's some information we can share on our stories about this population? And so I've been noticing a lot of that, which that's bringing awareness to the community. It's hard to say that this is necessarily a positive week because we are leading up to the vigil, which will happen on Sunday, to remember those transgender people that uh, passed away due to violence. Um, and so I think for me, what I try to remember when, I, when I'm talking to clients too is that we are in such a different place right now than we were yesterday. And while sometimes we are faced with oppression from news outlets or politicians, you know, our family, we get to choose what we do with that. So do we let that affect us every day? Do we let that affect our, our journey? Or do we put up appropriate boundaries with them and live our true selves? So that's a way that I try to spin that for them because although we want to put a positive light on this week, it's not leading up to a positive day. You know, this is a day of remembrance for a reason. I love, I'm sorry, I love that Jess said that because he's, 100% right. Like to me, Trans Awareness Week is about our power to me, the week. It's about here's who we are. We've been here a long time. Also, he's absolutely right. We're not where we were yesterday, but like it also feels crappy sometimes. And so this is us. We're showing you we're here, right? We're not going anywhere. We are we want to be we want to be treated equally we deserve the same rights as everyone and there are trans people doing incredible amazing things and also trans people are incredible and amazing that's what i feel about this week and then you get to sunday and for me and i think probably for all of us we have to take a minute and you look and you're like these people literally were killed for existing 
They are not here just because of who they are. And so it's a sad day because people are gone. It's also a day where it's like, this is what we're fighting for. This is why. This is what we're fighting for. This is why we show up to the courtrooms. This is why we protest. This is why we need people to fill out the trans survey. Like, this is why we're fighting. And I think that's also why it's so important, you know? Definitely. And I appreciative when our community is able to do something to bring attention to that. And these are important things year round, but sometimes you, you need that point in time to focus attention and make people aware. And to me, it's incredibly powerful that when I think about what it takes to go through a transition to the extent that I know, you know, it's not something that I've experienced, but only know from what I've read and and from what trans folks have shared with me, what power and strength it takes to identify yourself, to be true to yourself, and then follow that path and all the steps that are required. Um, talk about athletes. <laughs> talk about athletic. I mean, it's a it's a physical feat, and we celebrate athletes. I think we should celebrate, uh, likewise, folks who decide to make that and and follow that that path. Just as I think we should celebrate us all. Really, what kind of activities can people expect on Trans Remembrance Day? I personally go to the Michigan State Vigil every year. Um, it's on Sunday night. Uh, that's when I've attended. Since I've, I've been going there since maybe 2010, <laughs> um, besides COVID. Um, did not go then, but I've been going to that one. And that's the uh, one that most people go to, I believe, and I might be wrong, but I think the Solace Center partners with them now, or maybe they do their own. I can't remember. So locally, that's the one that I'll be attending. How has our community changed, would you say, in terms of support or resistance? Hmm. I mean, I think you said something really interesting just a few minutes ago about how, you know, what a feat it is for trans people to transition and all that stuff. And that's literally why I think trans people are so cool and amazing. And I'm biased, obviously. (laughs) But I do. I mean, imagine the courage it takes to be like, I want to be my true self and I'm going to do it. And I think there's also an important distinction to make there, which is not good or bad, but it's like some people transition to be who they are and then just live. And some people transition to be who they are and they want to talk about it. And they want to let people know and they want to be an example. And both ways are totally fine and equally brave because you are walking in your truth. And and for some people, the point of that is to be themselves and however they got there. And so I just want I just want to make sure that I say that because there's a lot of ways to be trans and to be proud. And to me, the reason why we are so amazing is because of the level of courage it takes to walk around as yourself. I love that. I'm so glad that you that you said that because it 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 um people are different and all are valued and important. And important. Well, yes. and safety too. Yes. The main reason people go into there's something called stealth where someone doesn't disclose that they're trans to mm-hmm. workplace or new friends or school. And it's because they've been shown that it's not safe for them. And so they continue to live their lives like that because they don't feel that they are safe to do that. And that's a really bad feeling to have, too, feeling like you cannot be your true self to other people or let them in on who you are. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say, like, Lena's exactly right. And I think the main proponent there is safety. 
they've been shown that it is not safe for me to be out in these spaces. Clearly, clearly it's not. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a to day have a trans to remember. remembrance mm-hmm. day. Exactly. And so psychologically, I can see how that ties back to the the unique vulnerability of this population because a lot of populations don't have that same kind of safety issue for just being who they are. Absolutely. I mean, I, as a, a, a white cis woman, I mean, as a woman, there's other safety issues. But no, I don't, I don't have that. I do not have that kind of issue that I, I need to, to contend with. So do you see, Jess, that that's part of the discussion in therapy? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, every single session. Yeah. <laughs> there, yeah. there is not a session I go through with a trans person that we do not talk about safety in some way. Mm-hmm. And I don't do that with other people. So that's yeah. something to make note of. Even if uh, I have clients that have went through a medical transition are quote unquote passing and would never have to mention. Right. There's still fear there. So we talk about safety. Is it, is it with people? Is it with spaces? Is it with environments? Is it work or is it school? I think that the, the focus a lot of times has been on the medical transition. So when you see those news outlets that we should not be watching, <laughs> um, <laughs> talking about trans people, they're too focused on medical transition and kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no, never a mention of the social transition. There's never a mention of the documentation changes, the barriers that are there, how long it takes and how much work it takes for someone to transition. And how um, serious it is and yeah. how there's medical doctors involved and researchers and biologists and years and years of people who like have degrees and went to school and know what our bodies can do. Like the thing that people also forget is that we're human literally human with like bones and like the blood and the whatever else is inside your body that humans have that doctors know what's supposed to be what I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt but like that makes me so mad when it's focused on the kids and it's like be for real nobody nobody is making this decision rashly nobody is making this decision rashly nobody is like I think I want to be trans today that sounds fun (laughs) that sounds so fun I mean and nobody's doing that to win an award by the way You heard me say it. I said what I said. Nobody transitions to win awards because when the competition is over, we're still going to be trans. Mm -hmm. We're going to still live our lives. We're going to still be exactly who we are. If a person is an athlete who's trans, they happen to be trans. They love their sport. And so when people are talking about kids, I want to be very clear. Like, number one, you can't just do things. You can't just say, hey, yesterday, uh, little Bobby told me, You know, so we're going to start today. You absolutely are not going to start today. You absolutely are not. And that's a misconception. That's misinformation. Can you talk about that a little bit? What do you mean? That that you don't just start today. And I mean, there's so many things going through my head right now. The misinformation that just, you know, explodes. It's like, you know, this tinderbox and boom, Mm -hmm. matches are being tossed in it all the time that are misinformation. To step back, you don't just start today. What Mm -hmm. does that mean, Lane? It means exactly how it sounds. There are processes that you have to go through. I mean, a parent couldn't say, okay, let's go to the doctor tomorrow and we'll get you on some puberty blockers. Mm -hmm. You absolutely are not doing that. Mm -hmm. There's many things that have to happen in it. And like I was talking about that wraparound support, there's a lot of other people involved too. Mm -hmm. And those are medical decisions that come with recommendations and after in-depth conversations to understand where is this coming from. And 
it also doesn't automatically jump to puberty blocks. I mean, there's there's so many steps, you know, and we have to remember that parents, you know, especially the parents that are in these situations that are trying to find a way forward for their kids, they're just trying to find a way forward for their kids. Mm-hmm. And it takes time. Even to give a diagnosis of gender dysphoria, a true gender dysphoria diagnosis, there are separate criteria that people have to meet in order to be diagnosed with that. And kids are different. So kids under a certain age are different than an adolescent or adult being diagnosed. And it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of evaluation. And it's not working with like psychotherapy is not meant to be a barrier. It can be a barrier, especially for those living in poverty. It can definitely be a barrier. And even new WPAS standards of care eight say that psychotherapy should not be a barrier for services. However, for kids, it's much different. And I think like Lane mentioned puberty block blockers, and this is a big misconception too. People think that they're just being giving away exactly. at the doctor or their, exactly. their pediatrician. <laughs> the reality is, is that only kids under the age of puberty, which hits about 10 or 11 years old, should be taking puberty blockers if they're truly diagnosed with gender dysphoria. Um, if they're going through that process, they're diagnosed from their, their clinician and they're working with a pediatrician with gender affirming care. And in the last five years, less than 4,800 kids have gotten puberty blockers. Thank you. I was hoping you were going to say that because I was going to say the number is like less than 1,000 yeah. a year. Yeah. But it's, come on. In the last five years, less than 4,800. I think it's like 47 <laughs> and some change. Like, you, you hear the math on that? Yeah. With the number of people in this country and the number of kids? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, there's, where's the fire? Exactly. Because we just need a bucket to put it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. P- parents watch the news and they get scared. They get there's a lot of fear there. We have this like we, even me like I can jump to a conclusion like oh my gosh this parent like it must be like a super like conservative parent like they grew up in a household that like maybe this is never going to be okay for them. But I have to even as me a clinician I have to sometimes step back and say you know they're really scared. They're really scared because all they know about being yes. trans is from yes. news outlets. They don't know anything on a clinical level. They don't know what I know. So a lot of it's psychoeducation to parents about what that means and how do we take care of our kids? What is gender affirming care? Yes. And how do we do that in the safest way possible? And the question is, like, what if they change their mind? You know, parents have asked me before, like a 13-year-old, you know, what, what happens if we change our pronouns at home? We change the name. You know, we start using a different name. And they change their mind when they're 16. And I just say, well, what if they do? What if they do change their mind? It's kind of like um, I was into airplanes as a kid. But then when I turned like 13, I was really into trucks. Mm-hmm. I changed my mind. Mm-hmm. And everything was fine. So there are some ways to talk to parents to make it less scary for them. And focusing on giving your child compassion. You don't have to really, un- you don't have to understand every single thing, what it, what it means to be a transgender person. Um, I w- it's good to, but you don't have to know every single in and out of it. But the first step is having compassion for the community and compassion for your kids. And listening and understanding and, you know, watching, waiting, you know what I mean? Like just unpacking what Jess just said, you know, if somebody changes their mind, what he's also saying, I think, and you can correct me, but it's just like, we're watching, you know, it's not like they jump to hormone therapy because that evaluation showed, you know, let's see, like be, be accepting. You change names. That's good. Let's see how it goes. Right. Let's give Mm -hmm. the kid the space Mm -hmm. to be who they are. That's what he's saying. He's not like the kid, you know what I mean? We're giving the kid the space to be who they are. Mm -hmm. Boy, it's important for every child, but in, in particular with gender identity, but yeah, there is, there is a lot of fear and it, it makes me think about what resources might there be for parents. And it's in, and just recently I met two different parents who have children who are 
considering transition and one of the parents who is older and their child is a is an adult and they actually when they they first spoke with me they shared they had it, it was it was difficult it was a difficult moment for them to share and I didn't go into deep conversation I just met this person but I thought parents need resources too what kind of resources exist for education and to help see what this process might mean yeah that's a good question there are many things online like PFLAG and other parent groups that you can locate. What's PFLAG? Um, PFLAG is a, like LGBTQ, parents of LGBTQIA uh, kids. Okay. Um, it's a really nice organization. Mm-hmm. You can follow them on Instagram. I follow them on Instagram. Um, but Rooted Counseling, we have a group called Q Parenting. And we meet once a month and parents can come and talk to a clinician. Um, Cosette Weaver is the clinician that runs that group. Um, and I would recommend that if a parent is looking for support to just stop by, no pressure. It's from 6 to 7.30, typically the last Thursday of the month. But because of the holidays, we're adjusting. We're not going to have one next week because of Thanksgiving, but December will probably be a different date. We post that on our social media pages for Rooted Counseling. So feel free to give us a follow. Um, I believe the Salas Center also offers a parenting group, too. We have a a Q Connect for teens from 13 to 17 years old, and we also have Q Living for LGBTQIA adults that are looking for support, Um, and that also meets once a month. Um, Feel free to just visit our website, and you can find information there. So locally, those are some resources that we have. I guess I'd say, if we're plugging things, I'm kidding, but I'd (laughs) say, you know, on my podcast, and that's for, there's there's a couple of episodes that are, you know, about coming out that are about family. Like I have a couple with my dad and my sister on there um, that just might be good to hear what it was like for them to hear also and kind of how we work through it. And then I'd suggest probably, you know, looking at Facebook pages in your area because there's events, you know, there's LGBTQ plus Facebook pages, there's parents and families, you know, support Facebook pages and looking for stuff like that because Hearing, you know, real people's stories is what's going to help. And obviously what Rooted is doing is always awesome. So Definitely. I want to allow time for both of you to address anything that might be on your minds in regards to this. But there was something also, Lane, that you said that I just wanted to explore a little bit more. You said people don't do this for awards. What What are you talking about? Do some people think that people become trans for some sort of award? Well, I just went on the Dr. Phil show. And the main topic on that show was trans athletes in sports. And they wanted to talk about Leah Thomas and her success. And all I'm, all I'm saying is, again, people don't transition to win awards. I mean, can you imagine being a kid? Because that's what she is. She's in college. She's a kid. She's in her 20s, you know? And can you imagine being an athlete who loves their sport and realizing that you're, I mean, you're, you're not your true self. You're not in the right body. Like when you when you realize that you're trans, it takes o- it takes over. It's it's unbearable anymore. Wow. And so to be in the national eye, to stand up and say I'm gonna be me, I think she's brave. I think she's courageous. I'm proud of her, and I'm thankful that she stood up to show all of these people. And so what I told them on that show was, guess what? Guess what? When Leah is done swimming, she's still gonna be trans. Mm-hmm. Because she's a trans person who happens to be a swimmer. End of story, bottom line. Yes, definitely. And the reaction is sometimes just so narrow to try and really put it in a box. And, and while seemingly open, 
to limit a person's expression, self-expression, whether that's, you know, their gender expression or their athletic or their intellectual expression. Yep. Um, if they feel that it's, to me, that seems to come back to not just that it's making it harder for others to be in that athletic competition or it's not fair to some group, but that it really, underneath it all, there's something, you know, the anti-trans, Correct. no matter what people say. Absolutely. And uh, that's, that is important for us to keep in mind. That's where a lot of danger seems to lie Agreed. in my mind. So I think another thing that you said, Lane, or that we talked about is the different ways that people want to live their lives. But the need for advocates is really is really huge. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that people who are trans should all follow that path. They couldn't. I mean, none of us can, can if we're not an advocate, we're not going to be an advocate. But for somebody like you, and I think just for you and your work to be able to, to be out there, that is super crucial. Okay. What do you each want to share in the last couple minutes of our, of this episode? I think a couple things. Um, something to keep in mind that uh, one supportive adult in a transgender person's life can make all the difference. So that could mean, like for me as a clinician, sometimes it is me. Sometimes I'm the only person that knows. Sometimes I'm the only person I've ever talked to this about. And I'm helping them like walk through those steps of social and medical transition if applicable and learning how to let people in rather than coming out. I've been using the term letting in. I'm that person sometimes, but here at the college, that's your academic advisor or your success coach or one of your professors. It makes all the difference to just have at least one supportive adult in your corner. Um, if we can get to that to three, that'd be ideal. Mm-hmm. But um, at least one one supportive adult can make the world a difference. And, you know, something that is a really staggering stat for me is that 40% of transgender adults have attempted suicide wow. compared to less than 5% of the general population. So... That is something to keep in mind as we walk into this vigil because the vigil is about recognizing those that have died to trans violence. We have we haven't added in those that have died, uh, completed suicide because they were unable to live uh, their true selves. I what Jess just said gave me goosebumps all over um, in a in a bunch of different ways, and it's the reason why I speak out. You know, it's the reason why I do, because it matters. And so the last, the only thing I'd say is trans people, I think you're cool and wonderful and amazing for being you. And I will never stop fighting. I will never stop talking. Neither will Jess. And I think that we're headed to a better place and and we're going to keep fighting. And I'm, I'm happy about what's going on in Michigan. So I feel safe here. So. I'm so glad to hear that. Well, thank you both, Lane Ingram and Jess Stevens, for sharing this information. I think whoever uh, may be listening, whether you are a trans person or an ally or someone who is just hearing about it for the first time, and there's a lot that's new to take in here, thank you very much for listening. When you go to the lccconnect.org website, you'll be able to find this episode, and there will also be links to the resources that Lane and Jess mentioned and contact info if you want to follow up with them. Uh, You can also catch past episodes of this program, Galaxy Forum, and other LCC Connect programming. I want to thank Andy Callis for composing our theme music, and thank you all for listening. I'm Melissa Kaplan, and this is Galaxy Forum on LCC Connect. Mm